0: Be right. Thank you very much. I'll be oh my god, Oh my the not give this tape to Earl Greetings, true believers, and welcome to the very first episode of Don't Give This Tape to Earl. Yet another podcast from the logbook.com. I'm Earl Green, your host, but I suspect you probably already knew that. So, what is this podcast about? Uh, I'm tempted to say this is a podcast about nothing, but it's probably going to wind up being about a a certain subset of topics. I've been wanting to do a general interest podcast that isn't tidally locked to any one particular area or subject matter as a topic. When I say tidally locked, that's, uh, that's a phrase that applies to our own moon. The same face of the moon always faces the Earth. Even as the moon revolves around the Earth, that same face is always pointing at us. I have podcasts that are tidally locked to video games or to soundtrack music, and that's fine if you happen to like those things, but I thought I would try a podcast that is more general in nature. I used to do a general interest podcast several years ago, even before the escape pod, which I called the Podcast of Extraordinary Magnitude, which was a phrase borrowed from Kentucky Pride movie. And then I was horrified to discover that that title was briefly taken by another podcast, which I believe was a sports podcast. And as best I can tell, that podcast did not stick around very long, so. I am taking it back. This podcast will be about a lot of things. It'll be about nostalgia. It'll be about growing up and growing old, about being a kid and being a dad. In some ways, if you have read my book, Fatherhood Fandom and Fading Out, this podcast is sort of a logical extension of that. And yes, this podcast will probably still land fairly frequently on some of the frequent flyer topics on thelogbook.com. You know, we'll probably talk about sci-fi TV shows and movies, music, games, video games, action figures. But I didn't want to limit it to those things either. In the past year, I've had two different podcast ideas that I tried and failed to launch. One of them was going to be a multi-voice, all-hands podcast, general sci-fi, general murdery sort of thing, and I was trying to assemble a cast that was the purpose of this round table of people, which I really, you know, in some ways I really still wish we could do this show, would be to get more than just my voice in on it, and I also tried to assemble a group that wasn't just a bunch of white guys either. Now, the death knell of that podcast really was scheduling and hurricanes, scheduling and hurricanes, two powerful, uncontrollable forces. It seemed like every time I was scheduled to get at least one of my other voices on Skype to do this thing, and maybe we'd each do a segment together and I would edit it all together at the end. Uh, The problem was about half my people were on the East Coast, and every time, literally, every time I tried to schedule something, they were having to hunker down because there was a hurricane coming. The other podcast idea I had, which is where the name of this show came from, and I really liked both the name of the show and the intro far too much to not use it. The other idea was to do sort of a career retrospective on my time in broadcasting and the media. The problem with that format was that I realized it would last about six to eight episodes and then I would run out of things to say because I no longer live or work in that world. Strange but true. So this podcast will combine both of those ideas, but it will also break free of the topical limitations of both of them. What it's really about is it's really about me sitting here talking to myself and talking to you. I probably need to get out and talk to people more, but here's the problem I hate putting on pants. So, with that little factoid on the table for everyone to see, I figure you're probably more comfortable with this podcast arrangement, and yeah, I know I am. <laughs> let's take a quick snapshot of what's going on in the world right now as I record this. By the time you hear this, I'm actually recording this ahead of time, but by the time you hear this, the new Star Wars movie Rogue One will have opened in the theaters, and I probably won't have seen it yet. I made the joke on Facebook the other day that I'm so broke that I'm going to have to wait for Rogue Two. A little bit of a money crunch. I might get to see it on Christmas Day, or maybe sometime the week between Christmas and New Year's. We'll see what happens. I have high hopes for this movie. I'm already hearing good things about it. Although, I really have gone to extraordinary lengths to remain unspoiled. I don't even really know who all is in the thing, or what they play. And, really, the only thing I... The only box that I really want this movie to check off is some verbal acknowledgement of the existence of the ser- the TV series Star Wars Rebels which is just one of the best things on TV right now it's really one of the best sci-fi shows to come down the pike in years but i think a lot of people are ignoring it because it's on Disney XD and they just they just can't square the combination of Star Wars and Disney XD it's a really good show it goes to some surprisingly dark and grown-up places. And I would just like some throwaway line in Rogue One that acknowledges that that is part of the timeline. It does exist. It does count. And you should watch it. I just finished reading a book. Yay me. (laughs) I say that like I don't read books all the time. I do read books all the time. The book that I read most recently is called Season Finale, The Unexpected Rise and Fall of the WB and UPN was written by Suzanne Daniels and Cynthia Littleton. Now, why this book? I had a little bit of a vested interest. I worked at UPN stations from the night that the network signed on in 95 through the end of 99 when I left Green Bay. And, uh, you know, the whole TV thing, that'll be a topic for at least one or two episodes of the podcast somewhere down the road. Suzanne Daniels was a WB Programming Executive and Cynthia Littleton was a reporter for Variety and so between the two of them it's you really do have a a very well-placed pair of writers to cover what was going on behind the lines on both of those networks I am a sucker for a history of a business entity or a creative endeavor and this combines both Before this, the most recent book I had read was about the band Jellyfish, and I just, I love stories like this where it's real, it happened, on some level I experienced the output of, you know, this band or this TV network or what have you, and it's sort of interesting to get into the minds of the people at the upper levels and just watch them Make decision after decision, and in some of them you just slap your forehead and say, "No." It was really interesting to—I uh, was always curious about the 1998-99 TV season at UPN because it seemed like such a bizarre mishmash of shows, and I wasn't sure what had happened there. I knew the, the network had a new CEO. I actually met the guy at a uh, at a conference in Toronto summer of 98, where he premiered or previewed a lot of the uh, new shows coming out. That was an interesting season, and it was very disjointed, and it seemed like the, the schedule and the promotional push behind it just fell apart almost immediately. I mean, there's a phrase that no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. It's like UPN's battle plan in the fall of 98 didn't survive contact with oxygen. You know, when exposed to air, it crumbled. And now I know why. Basically, this book is the story of how the UPN and the WB got together in the back seat in the CBS parking lot and had a baby that they named the CW. Enough said. What have I been listening to lately? Aside from the deluxe edition 2 CD... Crowded House reissues. I recently discovered and binge listened and got completely caught up on a podcast called Down and Safe. Down and Safe is a podcast covering episode by episode the late 70s, early 80s BBC science fiction series Blake 7. They borrow the format from the audio guide to Babylon 5 podcast, and there is a spoiler section toward the end where they. To some extent, it's for the listener. If you're just going through Blake 7 for the first time, you turn off the show there because they're going to talk about future developments that those of us who have watched the entire series already know about, and we can chuckle knowingly. Uh, One of the things that we chuckle knowingly at is that one of the four hosts of the podcast has never seen the series before. She is going through it for the first time. And if you have watched it before and you're listening to her talk about her expectations and hopes for the future, you're just kind of sitting there cringing, going, Oh no, she's going to wind up being disappointed or surprised. Really, Blake 7 is prototypical of the sudden twist and major turn formula that now is all over the place. I mean... I swear to God, the Game of Thrones writers' room, they must have a VHS tape of the final episode of Blake 7 with a crappy, hand labeled label on it that says, Top This Every Week. Blake 7 has had quite an effect on perhaps not the generation of writers that now rules Hollywood, but the generation that inspired them that was rising in the 90s in the form of shows like Babylon 5 and uh the various Joss Whedon shows Buffy and Angel all show a lot of Blake 7 DNA in them so it's a very it's a very interesting podcast it's it's really raunchy at times because Blake 7 fandom really loves its shipping you know really loves to speculate that two or more characters in the crew are having a relationship that we never see on screen, and yet we infer this relationship through, you know, bizarre looks and reactions during the various actors' performances, which probably mean nothing, but uh, in that has never stopped any fandom of any show from overlaying their own expectations and desires onto the actual text and subtext of the show. Um really enjoyed down and say very few podcasts have made me laugh out loud like this one does. I do a lot of my podcast listening at work because I'm kind of in a back room, back cave with screaming servers and internet switches, and they don't care if I wear headphones. In fact, half the time they close the door because they don't want to hear the noises that I am stuck with in that room. So I put my headphones on, and I binge listen to stuff. So I've really enjoyed Down and Safe. I'll include a link to it in the show notes. Tell him I said hi. Big news that has just broken prior to recording this podcast. Star Trek Discovery, which starts in May of next year on CBS's video-on-demand service, now has a star. It's Sonequa Martin-Green, who plays Sasha on The Walking Dead. She is the new lead character, but she is not the captain of the ship. She is a lieutenant commander, possibly the first officer. It's great that the new Star Trek series has a black female lead. I'm really, really happy about that. Some of the earliest casting announcements kind of made me grind my teeth a bit because they just seemed awfully white. So this is a bit of a relief, and there was... There was another casting announcement about a week or so ago. It'll be two weeks by the time you hear this. Um, You know, some more multiracial casting. But those characters were acknowledged up front to be Klingons. And, you know, not really really sure if that counts in the area of representation. Representation is a big thing in Star Trek terms. It, It really is, because the show has always had a multi-ethnic cast going back to the 60s when doing such a thing was nearly scandalous. So it's good to see that tradition continue. Now we just have to step up the pressure on CBS to actually put the thing on the air and not just on the internet. Because the thing about representation, the reason representation is important, is that people like to see that there is a future that includes People like them. People who look like them. People who live and love like them. You know, people who are like them. You know, so much sci-fi has traditionally been kind of a white man's game, and I don't agree with that. I think Star Trek got it right from the outset, and a lot of shows have really kind of scrambled to catch up with that. It seems to be, it, you know, it seems to be a very nice assumption about the future now. And, you know, the story was with uh, with Whoopi Goldberg, her desire to be on Star Trek The Next Generation, even though she could have spent her time making movies that paid a lot more than a guest shot on a TV show. She just wanted to do the show because when she was a kid, she turned on TV and saw Uhura and said, Oh my God, there's black people in the future. Yes, of course there are. Why wouldn't there be? So the representation thing is important, but the reason I'm still miffed about this show being online only is that sometimes the people who feel underrepresented in the media and in the pop culture landscape, the people who need some hope to cling to, they are often not people who can afford to spend six to ten bucks a month for a single channel video on demand service. Star Trek Discovery needs to be on the air. It needs to be on the airwaves proper. I really wish CBS would see that. Or, you know, failing that, I wish that CBS, after airing the pilot next May, would, you know, kind of do what they did with Supergirl and let it slide over to the CW. So that's the Star Trek news for now. I'll stop talking about Star Trek and we can move on. Let me see, is there anything interesting going on in gaming? It really depends on what gaming I'm into. The Atari Flashback Portable, that looks cool. Uh, I need two of those, one for each of my kids, because if I only get one, you know, as sure as the earth is turning beneath your feet, I'll be hearing, "dad." So, yeah, definitely need to pick up a couple of those. May have to wait until after Christmas, sadly. In the world of games that you can play for free... Oh, yeah, this is kind of big. Uh, Generation... Gen 2 Pokémon. We're finally starting to show up in Pokémon Go. And yes, I am still playing Pokémon Go. And yes, I'm over the age of 12. I love Pokémon Go. It's pretty much my f- favorite video game this year, to be quite honest. The new Pokemon will start out hatching from eggs before they show up in the wild. And among others, they will include the ones that they've announced and revealed. They include Togepi and Pichu. I love Togepi. It's the cutest thing ever. It's one of my favorite Pokemon. (laughs) And yes, I'm over the age of 12. But hey, you know what? Let's, uh, Let's talk Pokemon. Why not? Because I I went into writing the outline for the first episode of this show. I actually started writing the outline for it earlier today. And I didn't have a topic. I really didn't want to immediately jump into the... What it was like to work in the media thing. I'll bore you with that later. Actually, I'll try not to bore you. But I didn't want to hit that first thing out of the gate. But as I was writing the outline and you know, made a note to talk about the the new Pokemon finally showing up in Pokemon Go, it occurred to me, why not talk about Pokemon? Because I have an illustrious history with this media property. That's actually a bit of a misnomer. First time I, I encountered Pokemon, I was working as a promotions writer-producer at WACY in Green Bay. WACY was the UPN affiliate for the Green Bay Appleton market in the 1990s while UPN existed. Man, I'm spending a lot of this podcast talking about UPN. Uh, One thing that Green Bay did not have at the time, at least not yet, was a WB affiliate. And so we were able to kind of cherry pick some WB shows. We were the CW before the CW existed, man. We were ahead of our time. Uh, one of the things we picked up was the Kids' WB block. And the station had committed to carry this programming in the afternoons, and so we started getting screeners. Screeners were, a, you know, we're talking about the uh, late 90s here, screeners were VHS tapes that they would send you that would have either a sizzle reel, you know, which is sort of the a best of of stuff that they're working on or have worked on already, already produced, or if they had this stuff in the can already they would send you a screener of entire episodes now of course since pokemon was an anime that had originated and already aired in japan by this point the episodes need only to be dubbed into english to be ready yeah otherwise they you know they arrived pretty much uh as they were off the boat minus english titles and so The screener for Pokemon that we had actually contained the first two episodes of the show. My job as Promotions Writer-Producer was to write copy for end credit voiceovers and for online use and write spots to sort of localize the national programming and there's a huge story there that I'll go into in a future edition of the podcast that is very close to my heart that will probably completely baffle or bore you, we'll see. My job was to sort of soak up the new programming, get the feel of it, and then I would know how to write copy that would hopefully inspire our audience to sample those shows themselves. So we sampled the show first. We being uh, my friend Clark, who was a news promo writer-producer for the NBC station that was in the same building. So, uh, really, he didn't, uh, nothing that he did, none of his duties touched on the fact that our UPN station was going to be running the Pokemon cartoon. I think he just wanted to stop working and watch cartoons. I know Clark very well, so I, I would stake my reputation on that being his rationale for watching it. And there were a couple of other people in the room. And so we started this tape and we watched two episodes. I think they were without commercials, they're about 20 minutes, so we spent about an hour watching the screen, or not quite an hour. And we sat back completely dazed. And we looked at each other and we said, What the hell was that? That'll never catch on. And we immediately had this little conversation about what a pointless show this was. Obviously, they were just trying to sell toys and Game Boy cartridges, and, you know, there, there was no real story there. There was nothing of substance. <sighs> you know, let's not spend a lot of time writing copy to promote this show because it'll be going away shortly. Uh, that show is still going on today, so I bask in my wrongness every day because my oldest child is a Pokémon addict. Now you may be wondering if I had any exposure to the Pokémon Game Boy games as they came out. I really didn't because I wasn't playing Game Boy at the time. I still have my old monochrome Game Boy, the Brick, but it had not gotten a lot of use lately and by this point we had a Game Boy Pocket we were about to have Game Boy Color and i had just i had completely sat out most of 90s gaming i'm catching up on it now but at that time my game collecting was revolved mainly around mame which was in its infancy then so any any new rom release was a major event and i was also collecting cartridges for Atari 2600, Odyssey 2, Intellivision, ColecoVision. I finally had a little bit of income, and so I was going to try to catch up on these machines. Some of which I had missed the first time around. Out Out of those four, I had only had the 2600 and the Odyssey 2 when I was a kid. Most of my game hunting was done at a little shop on the east side of Green Bay across the river and also it was literally within walking distance of my dentist's office I was having some major dental work done at the time that required many visits in fairly close proximity and so I was a frequent flyer at this place I I forget I think it was called Toy Connection or something I don't believe it's still there now but the funny thing was is in order to kind of walk off the last of the anesthetic from the dental work that I was having done. I would walk over to this store, you know, with a perfectly normal smile on my face, except when I opened my mouth, I'm sure I sounded like the elephant man. You know, Hello, do you have any little colloquial carcasses? Oh yeah, I'm fine, why do you ask? After a while, I actually... answered some questions, perfectly reasonable questions asked by the people running this store. No, I was not drunk. No, I was not on drugs. I had just had dental work done. I was walking off the anesthetic. I'm passing some time until I'm sharp enough to drive. Point me to the game cartridges. And thus did the collection grow. That was basically the extent of my gaming in the 90s. Fast forward to 2016 in a completely different doctor's office in Fort Smith, Arkansas which I moved back to at the end of 1999. I was in the waiting room waiting for my oldest son to come out and I had heard a lot of buzz about Pokemon Go. So just on a lark, I looked it up in the Google Play Store, saw it was free. and The requirements you know, for memory overhead and so on my phone barely qualified to play Pokemon Go. And I thought, eh, what the hell, we'll try it. Why not? It's free. And I immediately made a spectacle of myself catching a Bulbasaur in the waiting room. And when I realized that this game was all about walking around and exploring real physical space and catching virtual stuff in that space, I thought, this is the coolest thing ever. My son really got into it as well. Although it took him a little bit of time to kind of figure out the how fine-grained the game's location and GPS data is. It it took me a while to figure out GPS settings on my phone that actually made the game work, come to think of it. But it was funny, before we knew that this was about you know, large-scale exploration, as in, let's leave the house, let's not just go to the next room. He would scan my living room with my phone like it was a tricorder from Star Trek, and I just I had to stand back and watch. I, it is to my discredit that I did not snap a picture of him doing this. I just thought it was really funny. We have gone for walks to see if we can catch any Pokemon while we're at it, we live in kind of a rural area, so anything that shows up is exciting. The rural area is also kind of a handicap to us playing the game, or at least to me playing the game, because there you have to go miles to hit a pokey stop. And I usually there are one or two that I hit on the way to work, and it it really is literally you know, I have to go out of my way to hit pokey stops. This is part of my morning routine. Yes, I am over the age of twelve. Thank you for asking. Anyway, having having gotten me suckered into the world of Pokemon, which, you know, this used to be a thing that my oldest watched and played and collected. A friend of mine from grade school, actually before grade school, I knew her in kindergarten. I mean, this is one of the human beings I am not related to, who I have known the longest. Her daughter is about to graduate high school. And so... About a year before graduation, they were over there sitting around kind of taking stock of, you know, what is going to your dorm with you? And my friend's daughter had this immense collection of Pokemon plushies, but also, you know, a lot of the plastic characters and figures and so on. And having seen me on Facebook discussing how into Pokemon my son was, she actually contacted me and said, "My daughter is looking to unload this stuff. Would you like it? It's probably going to be two or three big boxes of it." And, you know, I asked how much. Oh, no, no. I'll just leave the box on the doorstep. You take it. Adopt all the Pokémon at once. And so that became our collection. And I I made I think I made a tactical error in giving all of it to my son on his next birthday all of it at once in a big case because it's just, it's an overwhelming amount of stuff, man that probably could have been the next two or three birthdays and I just fluffed it Um, of course there were some events in real life that made it just as well that, uh, that he did have all of it to enjoy for at least a little while Most of that stuff now lives over here. So, yeah, my house is a regular Pokemon party. There is a wall chart in his room, a framed wall chart, of the original 151, I think it is, characters. So, yeah, we are all about the Pokemon here. He tried to convince me, you know, since I was so jazzed about Pokemon Go, that I should go back and try the original Game Boy games. my son is actually kind of clever. He's like, you know, Dad, you say you're a game historian but you've never played Pokemon? Please, come on. He had a point. He had a point. And just like I've gone back and rediscovered or, you know, in some cases discovered for the first time things like the SNES, I went and uh, gave the original Pokemon cartridges on Game Boy a try. And... I just couldn't get into them. I really like the real world exploration aspect of Pokemon Go. The game it, it the funny thing is, if you start out with the Game Boy games like, you know, every kid on the planet did and then graduate to Pokemon Go, you probably still see the value of the original games. Me, my first exposure to it you know, as a game being Pokemon Go. Everything else seemed like a step back. You know, it's a step back to sitting on the couch and sitting in one place and looking at a tiny screen instead of getting up and getting out and looking at a tiny screen. I really should have thought that out better before I, you know, turned the corner and hit the pedal. Pokemon Go has brought me and my son closer together in a year that seems like it was practically designed to tear us apart. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Pokemon used to be this thing that, you know, just he was into and irritated the heck out of his mom. And I just kind of looked at it and went, hmm, yeah, those are some Pokemon. You're right. The funny thing is, now it's something we're both into. So, that's that's really it. I have exhausted my Pokemon-related topics. And I'm sure that's about the last thing you expected me to be talking about on the first edition of this podcast, but it just sort of emerged naturally from the, uh, the stuff that I had in kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, the news section. One last little musing on Pokemon Go. There was a meme floating around a few months ago on Facebook, and I still see it pop up now and again that, uh, you know, maybe instead of playing Pokemon Go, you should get out and get you a Jabba Chew or something like that. And it, it just seemed to me like those memes were a response to a problem that didn't exist. You know, it's kind of one of these hipster, knee-jerk reactions. Shut up and let people enjoy stuff. I have seen many uh, many news stories They don't come quite as fast and thick as they used to because it's no longer really a hot topic. You know, it's not in the news as the latest craze. But there were so many stories about Pokemon Go inspiring socially awkward people, people with anxiety, people with depression to get out of the house and play this game and bump into other people and form friendships. And even though it may no longer be the hula-hoop of the moment, I think the game has real staying power. I still fire it up every day and try to catch something. I'll try to catch them all. I don't have that many Pokeballs on any given day. But it's fun, and it gets you off the couch and out of the house. I mean, to me, Pokemon Go is a logical extension of the road that Nintendo put us on with the Wii. The Wii forced you to get off your ass, and move. Pokemon Go does that on a macro scale. You have to get off your ass and move outside the confines of your home. Now, I think the game is probably taking a hit in the winter months, especially with night falling earlier than it has in the past. During the summer, I mean, we would we would literally go grab a bite to eat and go on Pokemon hunting expeditions in the park or what have you. And the funny thing is, when you've got your kid helping you catch Pokemon, you have a kid who probably isn't complaining about, oh, dad, my feet hurt, I'm really tired, I want to go inside to the air conditioning. It's like, ah, 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 clam it up. There's a Pikachu out there with our name on it. That's it for the inaugural episode of Don't Give This Tape to Earl. As always, thank you for listening to all this stuff that I crank out in my little podcast factory here i've got several media related topics left over from the original formulation of this podcast that will probably they'll probably see the light of day sooner rather than later but i'll also try to intersperse them with other things that may be of more interest to you will this podcast really stick around that depends on you this is very much an experiment and so I want to know what you think. Let me know on Twitter, on Facebook. And as always, all of the podcasts on the logbook could use a little more love on our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash the logbook. Help keep the podcast around. There are perks involved. I probably need to add a new level where you get to go Pokemon hunting with me. Uh, Actually, no, I, I don't need to do that. Also, between now and the end of the year, you can get the the logbook.com's big geeky ebook bundle for only fifteen dollars. Through the end of the year, that gets you the original formatted PDF ebooks of Vorp 1 and Vorp 2, which are my massive the first two volumes of my massive ongoing guide to Doctor Who. Vorp 3 will be coming in 2017. It also includes Warp One, which is it takes the same format and the same idea and applies it to classic Star Trek. Also includes the memoir, Fatherhood Fandom and Fading Out. And the Escape Pod Logs, which is kind of the geekiest almanac anyone has ever made. These books are also available in print or in Kindle form on Amazon and Amazon's various regional affiliates. Just... Go look it up, and uh, let me know what you think of those, too. Oh, and one more bit of business before I go. I want to acknowledge, but at her request, not name a former coworker of mine who I contacted <laughs> because the name of the podcast was actually something that she said that wound up in a blooper reel that I would assembled at one of my former TV jobs. And she is a serious reporter and has moved on to bigger and better things including better, bigger and better markets and I you know, I don't want to undercut anyone's career for two seconds of silliness but at the same time I also realized that if I couldn't use that clip I'd have to find a new name for the podcast she was very cool about it but she said you know just don't name me so you know who you are thank you very much thank you for listening We'll see you on the flip side.